You're listening to The Real Wealth Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource. Warning, warning, this will be one of my more cautionary shows. So only listen if you want a good dose of reality, or if you want to better understand my mission here and what's behind my drive for owning real estate. I'm Kathy Fetke, and welcome to The Real Wealth Show. Even though we've seen asset values and stock prices going up, there are some real threats to our country today. I think the biggest threat is our addiction to debt. The national debt continues to balloon out of control to the point where our government can't even barely afford the interest payments on that debt. The same is true for many corporations who borrowed way too much money when interest rates were at near zero levels. The Federal Reserve is in a pickle. If it continues to raise interest rates, it will become even more difficult for the government and for corporations to pay off all that debt. So the Federal Reserve essentially loses its power to regulate the economy by raising rates if things get too heated. But it's also lost the power to lower rates because they're already so low. What does this have to do with real estate investors? As you'll see in the following interview, real estate is a hard asset and one that people need. It's not flimsy like fiat currency or the dollar that's really tied to nothing anywhere and only has value because the U.S. government says it does. If the value of the dollar declines, there's a good chance the value of hard assets will increase because you need more dollars to pay for them. Our guest today outlines these ideas in his book, How to Press America's Reset Button, which can be found on Amazon. Sean Burke also has a radio show called The Sean Burke Show which focuses on national politics, coming economic disruptions, and national news. And he's here with us today on The Real Wealth Show. So, Sean, welcome. It's great to have you here. Thank you very much for having me, Kathy. Uh, you're welcome. And before we started, I said, oh boy, this is going to be depressing, isn't it? Because we're going to be talking about the national debt. It's certainly not something that everybody likes to get up and think about every day. Like nobody's thinking about it. <laughs> no, nobody, not, not the media, uh, not politicians. There's really nobody talking about it. It's amazing. Now, I thought I heard Warren Buffett say, if you're going to keep worrying about the debt, you're never going to make any investments and it's never going to really blow up the way you think it is. So keep investing. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I totally had lived that, but do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, yeah, I, I do. He has said a few things. Uh, and one of the things he said is if you want to cure the national debt, just or the deficits, I mean, we have to also clear up the difference between debt and deficit here in a second. But if you want to uh, get rid of deficits, then you tie it to the uh, the pay of congressional leaders and uh, they won't get paid. If there's a deficit, we would soon have no deficits. So that was his very wise uh, musings on it. Ooh, I like that. But he also said yeah. not to worry about it. Well, it is what it is. Um, you know, I don't follow him, so I don't know exactly what he was saying there. There's, you certainly can't worry about it. Uh, the amount of money that is being pumped out by our government and inflation continuing to go up, it's wise to put your money into certain investments and, and uh, assets because it's the value of your money, if you don't do that, is going to greatly get hurt over time. So I'm, I'm sure that's partly what he was talking about. Yeah. So let's kind of take a look at this because I know that a lot of our listeners are very aware that we have a problem because I do talk about it a lot. But what are we really looking at, starting with, like you said, the difference between the national debt and a deficit? Well, the debt is our accumulated deficits. Of course, deficits is you, you have so much that you bring in. We just It's easier to talk about in a household. You, you make so much money 
and you pay bills. Um, so you bring in a certain amount and then you pay out a certain amount. If you pay out more than you bring in, you have a deficit. That is what we think of when we think of our government having a budget deficit. They brought in, let's say, a trillion dollars and they spent $1.5 trillion. That's a deficit. They've spent more than they've made. Now, then when you take the debt, you add up all those overages over time, and that is your total debt. And it sounds simple when you kind of think about it this way, but too often people forget that what we're really talking about are these two very separate things. When you hear in the paper, hey, we cut our deficit to $400 billion a year. People get really excited. Well, wow, we're really down. Our debt's down. No, hang on. The debt didn't go down. We're still overspending by $400 billion, uh, but it might not be $600 billion. So it, yes, it is something to be happy about, but we're not down to zero or even in a surplus. Now, that is a very rare word when you get into the budget world of the government. The surplus, the government has only had, and, and this is a crazy number. I did the research on this. I wrote a book. I got so freaked out about this, I'll be honest with you, about six years ago that I felt I needed to do something about it. And I, I wrote a book and I traveled around the country trying to raise the attention of this during the 2016 presidential elections. All of every state, I went to every state in a big, huge motorhome that had a huge sign on the side. I was, I was kind of one of those guys, you go, oh my God, he's really serious about that. <laughs> um, and I was, because I, I, I really think this is what will take down our country. But mm. just to, to not get too crazy here, if you go back 87 years, uh, the government has only had a surplus 12 times. Wow. So it's a very rare thing in our government language to, to use surplus. So that's the difference between debt and deficit. And so when we have an annual deficit, that deficit gets added to the debt, the exactly. national debt. Okay. Yep. And so how does that work? Where's the money coming from to cover it? Well, treasury bonds, treasury, the, the U.S. government sells bonds to lots of people anywhere from China and Japan to uh, if you buy a savings bond for your nephew. There's just investments that people make in the U.S. government via T-bills and whatnot. And uh, it's a very trusted, so far, uh, investment that people are confident that it'll come back. And it's one of the largest markets in the world. So even if your treasury bill isn't due for another month, you can go on and sell it right now at a bit of a discount and get your money back. So it's a very, it's a huge market. But now, how does the government pay it back then if, if every year there's a deficit? Yeah, they borrow more. Okay. Uh, they honestly, borrow. They, borrow, they keep borrowing. We have the budget. Um, right now, in 2018, uh, the deficit, as of 2018, we're in a new fiscal year now, but it ended in September of last year. It was $780 billion over. So we overspent by $780 billion. So we keep borrowing. First of all, we're going to bring in taxes. That's the revenue, main revenue sources for the government is the taxes come in, but it's not going to cover everything, including the interest that we have to pay on the debt. So we borrow more. It's a little bit like you're at home and now you've got so much in credit card debt that you're now borrowing more money just to make your credit card payments. It's very similar to that. And it just continues year after year is what we've been doing. And it's just continually growing. And are we alone in this or has this just become the way that countries do business? This is how countries do business. It's a worldwide epidemic. 
Uh, if we remember a number of years ago, Greece got into a lot of trouble. Uh, they had too much debt to, and they couldn't pay back some of the, they went into default and they couldn't pay it back. And that's when all sorts of uh, problems started happening for them. Now, when I decided to write my book, this was around six years ago or so, 2013, 2012, there was discussion in Congress to let our debt default. Instead of raising the debt ceiling, we hear about this every now and then, the Congress has just approved a new debt ceiling. Mm -hmm. The debt debt ceiling is, is just a facade that someone put in place to force our elected officials to have to raise, to kind of make them, kind of shame them, really. Because if they don't raise the debt ceiling, the Treasury can no longer issue more debt above that certain number, and then we will start defaulting on our debt. And now that would be a massive, humongous mistake and problem because everything about debt and credit is it has to do with trust. So if investors start feeling like they may not get their money back from the U.S., we have a really big problem because the government would have to start paying out higher interest rates to cover that kind of concern. So when that happened in Congress, I, th- I literally had the thought, I don't think they know what they're doing. And I don't mean that by, hey, those guys don't know what they're doing. I do mean it that way. But even more seriously, I don't think they know what they're doing because <laughs> if, we, if we did default, we would then – our credit rating – and by the way, our credit rating did drop during the, the economic downturn oh, 10 years ago. The credit rating of the U.S. dropped, but it would drop even further. And, and with credit rating dropping, your interest rate would have to go up to your investors, and it would just cost us more. And it would it would be worse. Now, it's my understanding that a country like Greece or uh, or even Puerto Rico, a situation where they couldn't pay their debt either, they struggle. But with the U.S., we seem to have this ability through the Federal Reserve to just print more money. I mean, how does that fit into the picture when... Yeah, it seems never-ending, doesn't it? Is it just quantitative easing when the Fed comes in, or do they come in and bail out in other ways? Well, quantitative easing is a very specific thing that they used after the 2008 downturn to pour U.S. dollars into the world and also to keep the interest rates very low. So the Federal Reserve, besides quantitative easing, that's kind of a newer thing. The only time in the history of the U.S. we paid off all the debt was in 1835 under Andrew Jackson. He sold some lands in the West, paid off the debt, didn't last long, um, less than a year. And ever since then, we've been increasing and increasing in the debt. So we constantly are finding places, people, countries to invest in our countries so that we can have more and more money. Now, not to dive too deep, and this is a whole other subject that others can look into, but the petrodollar. What happened after World War II and the U.S. currency became the reserve currency and and all the countries around the world had to use dollars to buy and sell oil, which is still 90% of the case today. The dollar became very important and people needed to have dollars. And that was another way that they could get dollars through investing in our country. And that it gets a little complicated. But we've just figured out a way, especially after World War II, how to continue to make the U.S. dollar be supreme. And it seems like it'll go forever. It'll seem like everyone thinks the government of the U.S. is stable and will always be able to pay it back. 
And that's that's a question. It doesn't seem like the debt hurts us at the moment. Uh, there's even theories out there that have recently come up that actually just uh, spending debt-wise is the smart way to go, and it'll go on forever. The problem with that theory and any other theory we want to talk about with that is we don't have enough history in this country to say if that's true, or any country. I don't know if anyone's done a 10,000-year history of a civilization that has overspent as well as we have and seen what happened to them. I do know that Russia, the USSR, had a very big problem, and one of the reasons they fell was because their debt got too high. And the government struggled, and that was when we were pouring on spending and spending and spending on military. They couldn't keep up. And part of what brought the USSR down was their debt load. So it is ultimately uh, a major, major problem. It's just when, uh, when is that problem really going to come to roost? And probably no one's going to pay attention to it until we do have <laughs> until it hits us a situation. It's, it's yeah. true, yeah. Until we have a situation, it's it's the same thing. Like we just, uh, I just live in Malibu and look at these people who own twenty million dollar homes on the beach and, and wonder at what point do you go? Hmm, you know, this might not be safe, <laughs> safest place for my money if the oceans are rising. But you know, no one will really think about that till I guess it happens. Until the water is lapping. But, it, you know, I think more and more people are thinking about beachfront property. That is starting yeah. to come up now. Yeah. Not in Malibu, man. Those homes are still selling for top dollar. <laughs> and it's and they're beautiful, I have to say. I, I love walking on the beach along Malibu. It's gorgeous there. It, it is beautiful. Okay. So, again, I asked you this, but are there any countries that don't rely on debt? No. <laughs> no, it was just true. Um, there isn't. They they all rely on debt. Um, and really, again, it, there's some deep dives here. I have a radio show, The Sean Burke Show. And if you go to seanburke.net, there's an early show I did in 2017 with an author by the name of John Truman Wolf. And he went into the deep dive. This guy researches this stuff. And there's a, an organization called the Bank for International Settlements. Um, it's up at the level of the World Bank, and all of the Federal Reserve chairmans of the, most of the major countries in the world are on this board. They make decisions on how to run the monetary policy in every country, and it, you don't really hear about it. You don't know that's going on because you just hear what our Fed chairman is doing, but it's coordinated worldwide. And it is, it is how the, you can't really operate in the world today without debt. Because your country would be completely left behind. Right. And there's nefarious, I mean, there are certainly people out there that will tell you there's nefarious purposes. If you can get a government in debt, you can control it more. I mean, you can go down those paths. But just to simply answer, there isn't any government that doesn't have debt. Okay. I was just wondering if there's people, you know, wanting to flee the country and go buy a house in, I don't know, Costa Rica, because maybe they have less debt. But I don't know if there's that safe haven out there. I'm not sure there's a safe haven, but there's certainly the point of view that you might want to have a place in another country. I subscribe to a gentleman by the name of Simon Black. Mm -hmm. um, yes, me too. You know him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you, you have the ability potentially to get another passport. In case something happens in your country, you can get out and maybe have a better situation in another country. I personally am a lover of the United States. I decided to, I, I'm here to fight. Uh, that's why I wrote my book, How to Press America's Reset Button on Amazon. 
I decided to fight. I think I love this place. I've yeah. been around the world. I've been to a lot of countries and there's no country like this one. And I love our constitution and I do stories on my, uh, my show. I bring in experts when we talk about the constitution and educate people on what the constitution is and why we need to know what it is and defend it mm-hmm. because it brought us at least to this point. So there is the idea that maybe you want to go have another passport in case you need to get out. And the truth is, and this is a harsh reality. When I studied and did research, it was a very sad period because when you really, really look at this, uh, countries are frail. I mean, Mm. we think of, and I've always thought of the United States as invincible. It will always be here ever since my dad, he fought in World War II and then you know, since World War II, we've just been on top. And it isn't always, it just, it isn't always going to be that way. I, I, I guarantee you that ancient Egypt thought they were always going to be on top, and they were for thousands of years, but they're still not with us. And you think of the ancient uh, Greeks, amazingly intelligent, bright, smart people that are no longer dominant in our in our world. You look at even Roman Empire, gone. You look at the British Empire very recently. They were, they, oh my gosh, the amount of the world that they controlled at one point, and everyone thought that they were invincible. And they're no longer in any way, shape, or form the power that they used to be. There's no reason to think that we, as the United States, will last forever without something else coming up. Uh, Of course, it's easy to look at China. China is growing and they will surpass us as far as uh, uh, GDP and and everything else as they get going. And I don't know if they're going to be the dominant, but there's no reason to think that we will always last, especially this. If the countries around the world decide to start trading oil in different currencies, and this has come up, and this is a threat that other countries make to our country, they don't need the dollar anymore. And the amount of dollars that are floating around the world right now that aren't needed will collapse our currency overnight if that ever happens. So we can't continue to think we're invincible for nothing. We have to continue investing smartly and also pushing our government in the right way, learning ourselves because we are the owners of our country. We're the owners of our constitution. It's only up to us. We don't have a dictator. We don't have a king. It is our responsibility. So yeah, that's you know that's what I try to get people to go. Hey, it's really ours, and there is a way we can start shocking Washington if we want to, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what I put in my book. It walks you through all this and how I discovered a way that we can push back against uh, what's going on in Washington if we want to. Well, you know, I am such a supporter of the concept because what I fear is coming is more and more of a belief that Americans should be taken care of by their government, that more things should be paid for. And, and then, but the question of who's going to pay for that never gets really answered, um, except to, to tax the rich by, you know, 80 or 90%, uh, which, you know, at, at some point they're just going to leave uh, so that they don't have to work for, for 20% of their income. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, that, that's my fear is that the pushback is going to be, I want other people who make money to take care of me, mm-hmm. and the, or the government with this. Or the mis- government, yeah, this mysterious like yeah. the government. It just has this unlimited amount of money to cover all my costs. And it seems like that. I have the exact same fear, Kathy. It just frustrates me. I just talked about the situation in New York where the people, quote unquote, rose up and pushed Amazon out. 
I mean, we got to understand how many billions of dollars of revenue Amazon was going to, whether you like Amazon or not, this situation was for New York, they were going to receive $27 billion in revenue in taxes if Amazon produced the number of jobs they said, and they got a break of like $3 billion. They got a little bit back as an incentive. Um, the thing that people are missing is in order to pay for government programs, there has to be tax revenue. So, uh, and there was a letter by the budget director of New York. It was a beautiful letter, open letter by the budget director of New York. Google that. He laid it out in just stark terms. He said, look, I'm the one that has to pay for all this. And if we don't have revenue, we're not having all the social programs everybody wants. If we start taxing the rich, there, it, you can just look at what happens to states. The state of New Jersey raised their state income tax over, I think, 12%, and people are fleeing the state. State of California has the same situation at, at, at the top rate, as you probably know. I think it's 11 or 12% if you make a certain amount. And the net people leaving the state over to Texas, Arizona, uh, the state of Washington is very high. And so if you just look at what happens on a state level, if we as a country raise the income tax that high, why wouldn't you go to Costa Rica or um, I'll go live in Ireland with low interest rates? Why not? Because now we can do that. This is a different age. We can move around. You can travel easily. You can get a situation where you can live in these other countries. And in fact, they're offering you. If you bring in investment, well, over time, if you stay for a few years, we'll give you a passport. We'll make you a citizen. They'd love to have you bring in your money in. So we have to remember people are smart. And uh, if you're making a lot of money, you'll probably go somewhere where you, you're not going to make as much. So it does concern me a lot that we have an edge in Congress. These, there's groups in Congress that feel, well, just calling it out, Medicare for all, that the government should run all of our health care. I can't wrap my wits around, number one, exactly why we think the government is going to be good at doing that. How, what <laughs> part of the government have you found that is running something really well? You know, actually, I think NASA's run pretty well. And especially those guys who sent the stuff uh, to Mars, those rovers that were supposed to last nine months and they lasted 15 years. If we're going to make the government run our health care, I want those guys, those <laughs> those women and men who did that, those hundred people that did that, they can run my health care. Because they're the group that I know of in our government is just killing it. Other than that, why would we want our government running our health care? And I was just in Ireland with a friend who got ill, and we intentionally – Ireland has public medical, and we intentionally had to go away from the public medical system because there's people in the hallways. They don't have enough beds. You wait at emergency for hours. It's not run well. So we had to go to a private hospital that was run better. I just, I just can't figure out, number one, why we think the government's going to be able to afford it. And number two, are they going to run it very well? I, I just don't see an example that that would be the case. I, I couldn't agree more. Sorry, I'm getting in a little – I'm not really into politics. I'm just – I tell you, the bottom line for me, Kathy, is – I don't care left or right. I'm all about the bottom line for our country because in the end, we can all say, um, I, we should have had this, we should have that. But if we don't have fiscally straight in our country as a government, eventually the cliff is going to come. So 
great. If you figured out a way that we can pay for all our government health care for free and it doesn't affect negatively the survivability of our country, I'm all for it. I would love to have free health care. I'm not against that. It's just how do we do it as a country and not shorten the lifespan of our country? Absolutely. All right. And then one of the things you said earlier is we need to, you know, we need to be active in the government. And you said we also need to be active voters. But you also said we need to be investing right. What, what did you mean by that? I mean, where is a safe place to put your money in a high debt environment? Yeah, that's a bit of a trick. I was just reading an article about a gentleman that was an industrialist in Germany in, during World War I. And as World War I ended and Germany lost, Germany started printing money, money, and money, just printing because they had so much debt. They had to make reparations to all these other countries. They were just uh, swamped with debt. So they started printing. Now, this guy saw this coming. And per this article, he borrowed money and invested in real estate, and he invested in his factories. He just invested in all these things that can, first of all, real estate itself, but also that can produce goods and services in some way. And he turned out to be, in the end, one of the richer men in the world when it was all over, because when the value of that money went down, he still had a tremendous amount of wealth. So there's a lot of different strategies, and I'm certainly no expert in this, but Traditionally, it's been gold and silver and precious metals was the place to put your money because there's only so much of that in the world. And as the dollar inflates, the value of that will go with it. Basically, as the dollar gets worth less, that will be worth more. You also would have real estate. Definitely, I I know this as a good example. I bought a home not even a year and a half ago, and it's already up 20 or 25%, which that won't last forever, but in the end, there's only so many places to live and good places to live. So over time, if you look at real estate, it hasn't crashed down as when we have these dips. It does some uh, some of the housing prices will dip down, but they swing back. It's quite remarkable. The other thing that looks to be po- possibly is cryptocurrency. It's still we're a little early to see what's going to happen with that, but. Some crypto type currency, if it's Bitcoin or something else, will probably emerge unless it might even be a few that will emerge as a type of security, if you will, as we hit our next downturn. It's kind of hard to see right now because there's so much money floating and everybody seems to be kind of winning. It's hard to see if one of those is going to become a place, a safe haven. But those three things, the precious metals, a cryptocurrency, and real estate, or possibly some kind of company that produces something that will continue remaining valuable when everything goes down would be the way to, uh, from what I understand and what I would suggest where money should go. I agree. I agree with all of that. Awesome. Well, Sean Burke, it's been really a pleasure to have you here on The Real Wealth Show. Well, thanks for having me. And uh It's not necessarily a fun topic, but when you have a little bit more knowledge around it, it's easier to determine where you should put your money and how you hopefully stay out of the depths of the problems here. Yeah. And and like I say often, if you get leveraged real estate, it just becomes worth less over time. Exactly. It does. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And I look forward to reading your book. Thanks very much, Kathy. And thank you for joining me here on The Real Wealth Show. 
Hopefully you've got a little more insight into my passion for real estate. It's not just about driving fancy cars and living in fancy homes. It's truly about putting your stake in the ground and owning a piece of America, owning a hard asset that won't disappear overnight. So thanks so much for listening to me here on The Real Wealth Show. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Bye-bye.